Good morning, Horizon. Nobody does music like you all. I'm just saying, that, is, that was amazing. Uh, good morning, my name is Beth Guckenberger, and it's my joy to be here joining the Jesus Jiu-Jitsu series, and it's especially my joy they did not film me working out for you all today. Uh, and I definitely think, I mean, sorry, Chad, but the star of that show is Marty. He is amazing. Hopefully you, uh, if you've been with us, I hopefully you've enjoyed this series. I am going to do my best to keep up with all. I know that last week Chad was on the ground and wrestling with a body double. That will not be happening this morning. But um, I am no expert in martial arts. However, I have learned that there are some basic principles in jiu-jitsu that actually apply to all kinds of areas of our life. That even if you don't practice this particular martial art, your intuition will, will kick in and you'll understand how how it applies and how we see Jesus using some of these principles. I mean, one, it's called the pyramid principle. It's the importance of investing in a strong foundation. Another one is called the acceptance principle, recognizing it's better to yield than to resist. We'll see that a little bit in today's passage. And like Drew was mentioning a minute ago, this idea that right when you think that you're at your weakest position, you might be strong. I mean, that, that's what Jesus ended up doing when he came on earth. He kept turning everything upside down. And people were like, wait, I thought the first was first. No, actually the first is last and the last will be first. Like he was always rearranging or reorienting us to what actually is true. And that's really the third principle in jiu-jitsu, which is called the pivot principle. And it's the value of changing your perspective in order to increase your effectiveness. And we're going to really sit with the pivot principle today because there's a lot of pivoting that happens among the characters in the story we'll study. Our passage comes from the book of Luke where Jesus will become a guest in the home of a man named Simon the Pharisee. And the Pharisees were a group of religious people in Jesus' day. Pharisee literally means to be separated. They, they didn't want to be contaminated by people that they thought were unholy or unclean. They were people that were more interested in the letter of the law than the spirit of it. They were more focused on the outward appearance than they were what was actually going on inside of someone. And so it's interesting to me that Jesus accepted an invitation to, to someone with that belief system, without that worldview. He wanted to go in his house, I believe, because he had a heart to help Simon see things upside down for him in a way that would be different. He wanted to reorient him to what the life that Simon was living and what he thought would have been obedient. He wanted to help him understand the way that God had intended. And so uh, we'll read in Luke chapter 7, it says, Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus was at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and she stood at his feet behind him weeping and she began to wash his feet with her tears and she wiped them with the hair of her head and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. And I just want to make sure I paint the picture for you that in the Middle East, um, to a certain extent still today, but absolutely in the days of Jesus, dinner parties were held outside at a house like Simon's. It would have been in like a courtyard and there would have been naturally a whole ring of people, kind of curious observers, like a peanut gallery that would have been surrounding this dinner table. So when this woman made her way into Jesus, she didn't like break into Simon's house the way we might assume given the way that we host dinner parties today. She would have been 
drawn to him in some way. And we read in the chapters before this story that Jesus was starting to, he was a people gatherer. He was starting to create crowds everywhere he went. He would say, there was a great crowd and then he moved to the next town and the crowd followed him. And then, then he spoke and he had to go up because there was a great crowd. Like there's a lot of evidences that people were curious, drawn to him. And so she would have been no different, just hanging out. And then she sees this need that he has and she decides to, to intervene. Because what would have happened when you got invited to someone's house at this time in this culture, three things would have been the responsibility of the host. First, he would have either washed your feet or he would have seen to it that your feet were washed because everybody wore sandals and the roads were dusty. So that's like the first thing that would happen. The second thing that would happen is they would greet you with a kiss. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks for accepting my invitation. You're welcome here. And the third thing they would have done is anoint the head with oil, this symbolic gesture. We'll read in a minute, Simon the host didn't do any of those things. So this woman who was like out here in the peanut gallery sees that the host has neglected his duties and she steps in. And it's not like Simon like forgot to do this. Like this is a part of ingrained in this culture for a thousand years. He was absolutely sending a message to his guest, and it was a message of dishonor. And I think this might be Jesus' first jiu-jitsu move, is that he had utter control of his emotions. He was not going to let himself be offended by Simon. He knew what was going on inside of Simon's heart, and he knew what he was there to do. He had total control. And I noticed that just, just, just in these first few verses, a couple things about the story. One, I just mentioned Jesus is a drawler to a himselfer. He was always bringing people to him. The second thing is Jesus wants us to express ourselves. He doesn't want us to hold back our emotion or our affection. He was welcoming of this woman who was demonstrative how she was feeling. And the third thing is you can see a need and nobody can invite you to do anything about it and you can go do it anyway. I mean, this is this, is this woman's first pivot move. This is her first, like, I'm going to reassess this situation and change my perspective in order to increase my effectiveness. She realized, in fact, there's a word we use in Hebrew sometimes, and it's popular in our, in our pop culture, in our lexicon. What this woman had was chutzpah, right? Chutzpah literally means utter audacity, gall, and nerve. She, she would have been, she, she had a reputation of a sinful woman, and she was not afraid. She stepped right into exactly where she was uninvited and executed what she knew needed to be done. Now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, saw her doing this, and he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he was a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And as Simon watched the woman, he probably felt some combination of both disgust, because he's a separated one, he's a Pharisee, and here this this guest of his was allowing the sinful woman to be so intimate with his feet and washing it with her hair. And he also probably would have had some kind of little weird satisfaction. Like, I thought that. I already guessed that about this guy. He's probably a false prophet because there's no way some holy man would, not, would lack the discernment and allow her to pollute him with her touch. And really, at this point, Simon is identifying his weakness to us. That's true. Let's just remember that, church, that anytime somebody is condemning of someone else is critical, they're actually telling you more about themselves than they are about the person that they're talking about. We're seeing some of Simon's weakness here. Simon is judging this woman by her outward appearance, by her behavior, by her reputation. That's not the way God does things. 
This is where he's going to be eventually inviting Simon to flip this kind of thinking, to pivot on this thinking. Right now, God's, Jesus was sitting there thinking, I told you in 1 Samuel, remember that passage that you memorized because you're trying to be really religious and holy? Well, it I told you all in 1 Samuel that it's man that looks at the outward appearance, but I, God, look at the heart. And it's pretty natural to look at people and make judgments. Like we do that all the time. We, ju we judge people because of where they live or what they do or like whatever thing is important to you, whatever you prioritize. If somebody doesn't measure up in that category, we make assumptions about them. It's our human nature. But God asks us to pivot that human nature, to put it to death. If we're going to start identifying with him, we're going to have to live a different kind of way. He gives us a supernatural nature, not a natural nature, a supernatural nature. It's different than the one I got on my own. And this supernatural nature means I'm going to look at somebody and not, and not just see what I see with my eyes. I'm going to see, I'm going to have some kind of like other way of looking at them. Jesus wanted to use someone super unlikely to teach Simon this lesson. And I recognize that because he's done that for me in my life. If I haven't met you yet, I'm a 26-year missionary, and 15 of those years I lived in Mexico. And while I was living there, our ministry was partnering with one of, one of our partners was a pastor who was building a church in the middle of, middle of a squatter's community. And a squatter's community is a community where everybody who lives in it doesn't own the land they live on, but they have built shelters for themselves and their family out of scrap materials and things they found in, in dumpsters and, and dumps. And this, this man, God bless him, this pastor, uh, his church was growing and he asked us if our ministry would help him increase his footprint and we made an agreement with him that we would buy the materials to build a second floor on his church if he and his church would provide the labor to do it. And if you saw this pastor, Jose Angel, he has about a sixth grade education. He's missing at least two of his front teeth. You might not think he has something to teach someone like me, but I learned a big lesson from him. As we were about eight months into that construction project where we were, you know, helping them with the second floor, I got word that the person who donated the money for that construction material was going to come visit us in Mexico in two months. And they felt like, to me, for, I mean, I'm no construction person, but it felt like they were kind of in a stuck place. They hadn't gotten much, like, they hadn't gotten very far in the recent history. And so I just called them. I'm like, hey, Jose, I know that we had this agreement where we do the materials and you do the labor, but I'm going to help you get this like last 20% done. I can tell it must be really challenging and I'll help kick in some more resources so we can pay some professionals to help get you to the finish line. And then the guy that actually gave the money for the materials, he's coming into town. And so it'd be great to have like a ribbon cutting ceremony and we can finish it all up. And he said to me, oh, Beth, you don't understand. So you, you know how people get work in my community, right? And I said, yeah, I've been there hundreds of times. Like the way you get, the way that the men are employed in that community are different than the way we would understand employment. They would get dressed in the morning and they go out to the edge of their community and they stand at a corner and foremans drive by and pick up trucks and they are looking for laborers that day to help in their factory or in their field or in their construction project and they'll say, I want you, 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 and you and they jump in the back of the pickup truck and they take off for the day and then the next guy comes up, I want you, 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 and you and they take off and at the end of that, if you're still left standing and you didn't get any work that day, you have to walk home and you feel ashamed that nobody wanted you to work for them and you have, you're not contributing to your family's needs that day. So Hosanna would stand where they would have to pass and he would invite them to come work at the church that day. 
And the, those men would get a chance to be fed lunch and to go home dirty and to feel like they contributed to their community. And he said, Beth, listen, if you make me finish that second floor, we don't even need it yet, but I'm starting a third floor. I can't believe, you, it's like you see this as a construction project. This isn't a construction pro- project. This is a discipleship program. These are people that wouldn't come to my church otherwise. And I thought, you're right. <laughs> I'm, I need to pivot the way I'm thinking. I was viewing accomplishment, but the whole time God had a different kind of goal. And part of, part of the little things mattering, the little, the little habits that strengthen our muscles, that make it so the one minute of endurance that we have to do in the exercise doesn't feel as hard as it did in the beginning, part of that muscle you exercise is, is being open to being corrected. Being open to, to, to that pivot, to that, wow, I saw it this way, but th- I'm going to amplify my vision. I'm going to see it in a new kind of way. I'm going to course correct. I'm going to adjust. I had to pivot. But it's, it's really natural to look at things and to jump to conclusions and make assumptions. I was attending a leadership conference in Dallas a couple of years ago. It was like I was just going as a guest and I I, I didn't bring any nice clothes. I didn't even know anybody there. I just had my jeans. I, I was going to learn the content because I wanted to grow in my own leadership. And, and there were a couple thousand people there. And uh, one of the conference director found me on the second day and said that the speaker that night couldn't get out of Atlanta where he was coming from because of a storm. And they didn't have a speaker in the lineup. And they were wondering if I thought I had something I wanted to address the conference about. They were just looking for a speaker. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And I spent that day preparing something. And before this, that evening session, I went backstage to get my microphone on. And there were some guys there from a, um, that, that session, that particular special session was being sponsored from some folks out of Chicago who run Moody Bible. And those people take their, they take their Bible very seriously. This is where Chad graduated from. I mean, it, this is very important to them. And they were in their suits and they have giant Bibles. And I came in my slightly ripped jeans and I preach always with my pink Bible. And so I walked back there to get my microphone and they thought I was the girl that was passing out the programs. And so they were like, hey, so I'm just wondering, did you, did you hear who they ended up getting tonight to, to fill in for Dr. Loritz? I'm like, yeah, it's going to be me. Hi, I'm Beth, you know. And they're like, oh, this will be very interesting. <laughs> In their defense, by the end of the night, we were fast friends, and I ended up being on Moody Bible Radio, and it was like all exciting, but we had a, a good iron sharpens iron kind of conversation at the end of the night that they naturally made some assumptions about me without knowing who I was. It's okay. It's what we do. That, that's, very, that, that's very normal. But when I think about this idea of like throwing down life's problems, most of the time the problems it looks much worse when I look at it with my human eyes. When I try to see it from the perspective of God, when I try to put on some kind of supernatural pair of glasses, it looks different. It's not that it necessarily minimizes. It just has a different, I see it from a different kind of perspective. That's what pivoting does for us. That pivot ends up then increasing our effectiveness. This is jujitsu at work. It happens all the time though. We make assumptions and judgments about people that we see in line at the store, right? We, we judge our like new neighbors. We judge our son's girlfriend. We judge, like we take one look and we make a, a we, we come to conclusions based on like what they have on or where they're from or 
like what they look like. It's, it's okay, it's natural. But if we decide to, to follow God, if we decide that we're gonna do things in this upside down kingdom kind of way, this Jesus kind of way, then he's gonna make us different. We're gonna be supernatural. That's the move here. The one, this woman, she saw a need and she sought to meet it. It wasn't even like a very big need, but she thought no one is doing that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take some action. And I wanna teach you a word. Our Bible's written in two different languages. Our Old Testament's written in the Hebrew language and the New Testament was written in the Greek language before they eventually got translated into our English language. And sometimes the reason why we want to go back and look at those original languages is because they, they fill in some blanks for us. They, they give us a bigger picture. And the Hebrew language is a funny little language that, because it, it often paints word pictures for our minds and it helps us understand things. And so there's no like vocabulary test to get in heaven. I'm gonna teach you this word and if you forget it in five minutes, it's totally okay. I, I think of these kinds of words like doorknobs and they take us into new rooms of understanding. And all that matters is that we now have this new kind of understanding. It doesn't really matter what the doorknob looked like on our way in here. So don't get caught up in the actual word, but the Hebrew word I wanna teach you is to see, or ra. And the reason, the reason I want to teach you to see is because this is a story about seeing. This woman saw Jesus, Jesus is gonna see her, Simon's looking at them all. Like it's a, it's a story about seeing. And the thing that's so fascinating about the word ra or to see in Hebrew is that at the same exact time, it means to respond to a need. So baked into the definition is the challenge. If you don't do anything about what it is that you're seeing, did you really actually see it in the first place? And I have a family in my, in my neighborhood that I'm pretty sure is going through a divorce. The guy's not there anymore and the kids aren't always in residence and I saw a moving truck and I'm, I mean, I don't know for sure, for sure. I've not done anything about it, but I'm pretty sure that's what's happening. But you could argue, I'm not really seeing them. If I haven't gone to engage, I'm actually overlooking them. I'm not paying attention to them. And I, I want you to know if you're here for the first time or you're here for the hundredth time, I'll remind you, this is a church that's committed to seeing people. Ra, it means to, to see and it means to respond to a need, but you know how in English like to see and to look kind of mean the same thing, they're synonyms. This is a little bit stronger than just to look. It actually means like to look, look, to take a double take, to really see something. And that's what we have decided as a church this is gonna be a church that looks, looks at people. That's gonna double take when we see them. And we're not gonna see them for their circumstances. We're gonna see people as always being worth it. And one way we do that as a church is we support ministries to the least of these. You probably saw signs on the way in here for, for the work that's happening at City Gospel Mission. And certainly this church has been involved with Back to Back. We serve orphan and vulnerable children for two decades. The, the practice of serving the least of these, it changes our lives and our perspective. And it helps us understand what really matters. I just got back this month from Nigeria and while I was there in Nigeria, that's where Back to Back has a site, I was interacting with a young man I actually met five years ago. I was there the day he was dropped off at an orphanage. Um, his story is that, it, and this is hard for us to wrap our heads around on a Sunday morning here in Cincinnati, Ohio. But in his village, they came to believe that this 12-year-old was cursed. And it could be because 
he was born on a full moon or because the chicken died while he was taking care of it. Or it can be things that don't make any sense to us. But his village came to believe that he was cursed. And in their belief system, the way you rid yourself of a curse is you take giant nails and you drive them through the ears of that person until they die. And they thought they killed him after they did that. But they didn't. He just had passed out from the pain. And they buried him. But it was a shallow grave. And he eventually came to and tried to come out. And somebody was running by when that happened and called the Nigerian equivalent of 911. And they took him to a hospital. And he spent months in the hospital recovering from his injuries. And a social worker got involved because she realized it wasn't safe for him to go back to that community. And so she was relocating him to a children's home, an orphanage, where I happened to be that day. And the director was telling me about the story and said, he'll be here any minute. And I've seen hundreds of kids get dropped off in an orphanage, and it's traumatic, super traumatic. So I was like, what's it going to be like for this kid? I can't imagine everything he's been through. And he walks in the door, and he can't stop smiling. He's like smiling about where he's going to live and smiling about where he's going to eat. And I've told him, hey, this is the homework room. And he was smiling about the homework room. And I was like, what is up with him? And somebody caught a picture of me just shaking his hand for the first time. But I said, help me understand, buddy. Like, what are you so happy about today? And he said, oh, auntie, I'm, I'm happy because today it feels like a new day. And he's had, when I was there this last uh, month, he was, he's finishing up high school. He's been studying now for several years. And his whole entire life is going to be different. His trajectory, his destiny is literally going to be different. Why? Because somebody looked, looked at him. Somebody saw him and decided to respond to that need. This is the kingdom kind of thinking. And maybe even by the way, or P.S., or as a side note, when we have our back down against the metaphorical mat in life, when it feels like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how we're going to, I don't see a solution to this. I don't think this is going to get any better. Whatever your, whatever your catastrophic self-talk sounds like, not only does our Bible teach us, but science has confirmed that one of the fastest ways off the mat is to start helping somebody else, to start focusing on something other than yourself. That's quite the jiu-jitsu move. Anyway, Jesus goes on to say, Jesus answered Simon and said to him, Simon, I have something I want to say to you. And so he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors and one owed 500 denarii and the other one 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to Simon, you have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? Now think about everything we just learned about the word see. Are you going to respond to her need? Are you going to take a double take? Are you willing to look, look at her? Simon thought it was Jesus that couldn't see who this woman was. This is definitely in this storyline Jesus' greatest martial art move. Because Simon thought he had Jesus pinned. Like, no way. If you were holy, you wouldn't let her, let her touch you. So you must not be holy. And Jesus is like, actually, do you see her? You see her devotion, affection, her repentance. Do you see her love? That's all I see. That's what I'm going to respond to. And this was new for Simon. This would have been new kind of thinking. But I, I just want you to know that I know that this is probably not new thinking for you this morning. This, this idea of kingdom eyes, 
of being, having a supernatural nature, of being responsive to something that you see that's a need. That's not, sometimes we come to church to learn things we've never learned before. And this church does a really great job of teaching new ideas, parts of our Bible that you might not otherwise know. This is a great church to come on a Sunday morning to learn something new. Probably this morning, this is not something new for you. But I hope it serves as a reminder, this is how the church should function. This, our, God's family should be people who see not for the outward appearance, but for the heart. God's family should be people who respond to need when they see it. If you've gotten the impression that that's not how God's family has been working, they weren't a very good representation of him. I wanna recalibrate our thinking. I wanna make sure you leave here knowing this is how Jesus wants us to act. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to be tied down by someone's background or circumstance or past behavior or poor choices. He's look looking at us and he wants to see us. And the challenge for me, the, the gut check for me as I was preparing this message is like the pivot is like, Beth, make sure you don't overlook people in your life that you see them that you, you're not looking around them or over them or through them, but you're actually looking at them. And the reason that that's a pivot sometimes for me is because it costs something to look at people. It might mean I have to get engaged or sacrifice. It might, it's gonna cost me. It, I might have to talk to them or pray for them or, or do something about it. But that, that practice of seeing that simple little practice of seeing someone will lead us on some of our very best stories. I have a friend who lives in another state who has an adult daughter with an alcohol addiction. If you're a family that's wrestled with addiction, you'll understand intuitively some of the things that they struggle with. They are always trying to figure out when to intervene and when to allow that child to face consequences. And one night this week, they got a call that their daughter had been picked up with a DUI and they were trying to figure out, should they come, should they wait, should they intervene, how fast should they, should they rescue and how fast should they drop their life to get there. And it was making them feel far away. And uh, they sent a text out to some of their prayer warriors and just said, we pray, pray for wisdom and discernment and for her and for all the things. Then later that night, I got a text um, from the dad and it said, tonight I'm going to bed grateful for Russell and Cheryl. Their daughter, Stephanie, checked into a cabin at KOA. That, that would not be where she would normally stay. She had no luggage, no car, no bags. She wore a black Velcro ankle bracelet. Cheryl noticed as she checked her into the cabin and she later told her husband, Russell, about this young woman. And Russell said he couldn't sit by and worry. So later in the evening, that evening, Stephanie, her, their daughter heard a knock on her cabin and this couple stood there with a plastic tub full of bed linens and a pillow and a towel and a blanket. And he said, we don't need to know any details. We just want you to know you're loved and here are some bed sheets. Steph started to cry and Russell said, don't cry, just show us that smile. She just told us this whole story on FaceTime, lying on fresh white sheets. The dad wrote, that's when I cried. I'm so amazed at their simple act of love and care. It feels like angels stepped in when I've been sitting here worrying all night that I'm not there. I don't know anything about this Russell and Cheryl other than what I just read to you. But man, they look like God's family. They saw something and instead of being like a Pharisee and like I'm separating myself, who knows what that girl's into? Who knows, like I don't wanna get anywhere near that thing. She might pollute me. What's she all tied up in? 
that, that, that's not a good, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be separate. Instead of that, they stepped in. They engaged. It's, it cost them something. But they look like God's family. This is exactly how God wants his kids to look. And here's the pivot. Could we be? Could we be the kind of people who ask instead of saying like, what's wrong with that girl? Or what's wrong with that guy? We ask and said, I wonder what happened to them. And then we flex spiritual muscles that say, God, what do you want me to do about it? How do you want me to engage? How can I respond to the need? And the gas for that kind of energy, the, the way that I would even want to do that in the first place is because God, I recognize what God has done for me. I've realized that he's look, looked at me, what he saved me from. Whether on that scale you consider yourself a 50 denarii kind of sinner or you think of yourself as a 500 kind of denarii kind of sinner, both of those people had a debt they couldn't pay. And God paid the debt for both of them. And the more we recognize where we have fallen short and God's immeasurable grace to make up for it, the more we get gas in our tank to forgive others. This lesson continues. Luke 4 says, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and she wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. The truth is, this, this is kingdom math. The, the more we understand what God has done for us, the more capacity we have to do for someone else. And this is a guy who would have, like, checked all the boxes, right? He would have tithed and served and memorized his scriptures. He would have looked like someone who should be really holy. But I bet he was terrible to live with. If he didn't recognize what his own sin was but was busy pointing out the sin of others, when someone doesn't recognize their own sin, they're prideful, defensive, critical, judgmental. They're, they're, they're terrible to live with. I, I know because I was one. My, my husband and I, uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes, the, the you couples, but like sometimes um, in my marriage, we get on like the same fight. We have it over and over again. Anybody here? Is everybody here like really creative in their conflict or do you find yourself having the same fight over and over again, right? Can I, can I get a witness, right? And in, we would have these fights. They were so predictable. They happened on Saturday mornings. And I knew them, they were going to happen because our weeks were really busy. We were living in Mexico. On any given day, it never felt like we had any discretionary time. But Saturday morning, every orphan I knew was sound asleep. Everybody who would ever come visit us was on their way there. And any other staff person was enjoying their own free morning. So I would wake up on Saturday mornings with these sky-high expectations. And in my house, we call expectations premeditated resentments. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I mean, it's like... We got a family time. We got to like go hiking and, and we've got to play board games and we've got to like make pancakes. It'll be awesome family time. And my husband would wake up in the same life on the same Saturday morning and be like, oh my gosh, we need to pay our taxes and rotate our tires and go to the grocery store. And our, our agendas would crash and sometimes they would be ugly. And, and I would get really uncomfortable with that disconnect. And so eventually, not because I'm better than him, but because my personality doesn't like disconnection. Eventually, I'd go to him and like, 
we'd try to resolve and salvage our Saturday morning and we, we would find ourselves patting ourselves on the back that we were so mature that we could come up with a way to like get everybody's need met. But it's not maturity when you turn around and fight about it seven days later. And during that time period, it felt like my back was against the mat, like this is not getting any better and we are not seeing eye to eye. And then the Lord convicted me that I was actually more sad about disconnecting from him than I was about the thing that created the disconnection. And when I would go to him to say sorry, it was usually like, hey, sorry, I was disrespectful. Hey, sorry, I said that in front of the kid. Hey, sorry. Like, but what really was causing me to, to fight with him was pride. I was feeling prideful that my way was the right way. Like if we don't do family the way I'm thinking we need to do family on Saturday mornings, our whole family's going to hell in a handbasket. Like your way is a bad idea. And so when I went to him and confessed, I'm, I'm actually prideful. I'm actually thinking the wrong kind of ways about this. And I need to, I, I need to confess that to you. It invited his confession to me and I'm happy to report we don't fight any longer on Saturday mornings. Now we're working on Thursday nights, but you know. <laughs> but this, this is what gives us the capacity to forgive others is when we recognize what it is that we have been forgiven of ourselves. In fact, if you're having trouble forgiving someone, reverse engineer it and tell the Lord, where is it that I need to be convicted that some of this is my problem? That I have something I'm bringing to the table that I need to, that I need to be healed from. Jesus is not afraid to associate with sinners because he knows how the story's gonna end. He knows absolutely what can happen when we are willing to be pivoted, when we're willing to be changed, when our natural self we're willing to put aside and we're willing to put on other kind of glasses. This story teaches us that love is proximate. It draws near. The punchline of this story is that Jesus will say to this woman, your sins are forgiven. And it feels like, okay, so this whole thing was actually about the woman. She just needed to know her sins are forgiven. Uh-uh, it's not just about the woman. It is about her, hallelujah. But it's also about Simon. God is teaching him a new kind of way to live. And it's also about what happens next. Everyone who was sitting at the table with him began to say, like, who is this who forgives sins? He was demonstrating his authority in front of all that peanut gallery. But he looks at the woman, he says, hey, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And that's how I wanna leave you this morning. In this one little interaction, God honors this woman, something probably had never happened to her before, right? He forgives her something that's probably never happened to her before, freedom from shame. And then he sends her out with peace because he's a giver of all good gifts. This, he's not looking at you with your back on the mat thinking to yourself, well, that, that must be a difficult position. How'd you get yourself there? Jesus is the one who's got his hand out saying, hey, let me help you up. Hey, let's do a pivot. Let's see how it looks like from this perspective. Let's see what I can do. And, and I want us to leave here today thinking to ourselves, what Jesus is looking for is for us to recognize our sin so our capacity grows to forgive others. He wants us to have a little bit of chutzpah, a little bit of utter audacity, gall, and nerve, a willingness to demonstrate our faith to others. He's looking for us to be tender in our hearts, for it to break for the things that we see to the point at which we are to respond. And he's also looking for us to be willing, willing to break through a crowd and meet a need, 
even if it makes us look foolish. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I am thankful. I'm thankful that you give us a different perspective from which to see the problems of our life. I'm thankful that you have a plan for us and that we can trust you with it. Help us to be willing when we feel stuck to look to you for the pivot and give us your kind of eyes. We love you and we trust you with all the storylines in our life. May we see them through the eyes that you give us. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.